0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I'm here with President Zarling. No, not that Zarling. Uh, our guest today is Pastor Drew Day. Welcome, Pastor Day.
1: Thanks so much for having me, guys.
0: So uh, I was talking when we uh, were setting up our microphones here about uh, how I'm wearing a Michigan t-shirt today Uh, and this was in honor of the the two pastors at first evan that are michigan fans don't ask me much about their stats or their players or any of their sports but uh, i do know that my paternal grandfather went there so that's that's why i have some of their stuff
1: yeah, I mean, go blue. I mean, yeah, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised to be informed that last night What uh, was a big upset, and, and that was the extent of my knowledge. So we can, we can tell that I'm not much, more of, not much more of a Michigan fan than perhaps some of the others, but hey, it was, it, it was still exciting news. So
2: Well, and my, my uh, sister, Dawn, she's coaching in the uh, first round of the March Madness for her college, uh, out in South Dakota, but she was one of the coaches at University of Michigan years ago
1: oh very cool yeah. yeah
2: and her daughter now goes to grand valley state university where my sister dawn had uh, coached basketball she was the head coach there and then won a national championship oh so, very cool okay so michigan michigan ties
1: yeah michigan connections Lo- love making them so
2: so drew talk to us about where you are pastor at and you know uh, how long have you been there and so forth
1: Sure thing. Yeah. So, uh, have the privilege of serving at First Evangelical Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, been serving there for about nine months now. Was assigned there out of the seminary, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great ministry. Just um, been very much enjoying my time there, getting to know some great people, and working with a great associate pastor. So, uh,
2: you know, John doesn't listen to the podcast. You don't have to tell him like, he's a great pastor.
1: Oh, but I, I, I like, I like laying it on thick anyway. That's the, that's the, that's how it goes. So,
2: so let's talk a little bit since. You're just a newbie and coming out of uh, the seminary. Explain to everyone call day at the seminary.
1: Oh man, the, the it's almost hard to describe the energy in that room. Like, I've always talked about how you can almost really feel the Holy Spirit in that room, and and how powerful it is to, you know, because every guy who's getting a call, like he's like his body is just full of electricity. Like you can just see the nerves and the fidgeting, and and it's really powerful seeing like guys sitting with their wives, like in a white knuckled squeezing their hands, and. And uh, it, there's a lot of emotion, and the crowd always goes pretty wild too for for the big the big calls, quote unquote. I mean, every call is a big deal because every call is as a ministry of God's kingdom. But whenever someone goes to Thailand, which I had a classmate got assigned to the One Asia team for Thailand, or whenever someone goes someplace like Alaska or Florida, or, you know, you know, you always hear some more whispers and, oohs and ahs of those. But I mean, every every call is just incredible, and every every guy really does get assigned to a place that that really fits him well. You know, talking with classmates we all we all agree that that you know, we we have we have been we have been placed in places that fit us so yeah
2: do you know how jeremy how call day works how these guys the district presidents and the professors work together to
0: make you this is a sincere question or you yeah. want do you I want knowing... you to explain to everyone okay uh so i with, well at the time that i graduated the seminary uh paul Wendland was the president and he kind of explained that to me in our in my exit meeting as uh, it's not dissimilar to a draft that you uh have uh, all the district presidents but also some representatives from a lot of different uh institutions that are calling for instance uh the prep schools or the colleges or the uh, yeah Martin Luther college and uh they they all have the list of uh seniors uh, at the seminary that are eligible And uh, they have, let's just, to keep it simple, let's keep it with the district presidents. The district president uh, has all of these vacancies in mind of congregations in his district, and he may or may not have certain seniors that he has picked out for one of those uh, congregations. But it's also very likely or possible that another district president has that same senior picked out. Um, it, It could also happen... And then what happens is they they go around the room and uh, take turns. And if somebody picks one that was uh, a a candidate for a different congregation, then they talk it out and uh, decide based on as a group, where would he best fit? Would he best fit in the South Central District or in the North Atlantic District? Um, And uh, it, it can also happen that despite all of the uh, calling bodies, whether they're a college or the parishes in the districts, uh, that there may be seniors who don't have uh, anybody that wants to call them, uh, no district president or who who picks them. And that was actually what happened with my class, was uh, a full third of my classmates did not get calls on call day. Um, I I was one of the ones that did but i kind of was then carrying some survivor guilt because it was very emotional um and uh, it, of course we we can leave it all in god's hands and he takes good care of it because a year later i think maybe one of those 10 didn't have a call but uh that's that's my understanding of it
2: yeah i don't think that's going to happen this year uh with how many of you Guys are graduating, you know, Drew?
1: Oh, it's probably not much more about the same as my class. I think my class, there was 28 seniors who had graduated, and then there were four guys getting reassigned from finishing up their tutor duties. So I think it was 32. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's around that number, upper 20s, low 30s.
2: And then with 100 vacancies, and a lot of those are going to be going to the seminary. And we might be, because I learned last night that uh, the pastor that we had called to serve as my associate that he returned our call. And so we're not sure if we're going to have time to call from the field one more time because a few years ago, they, uh, the district presidents put a moratorium on calls for pastors over the Christmas break and over Easter break. So not sure if there's going to be time. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then to be able to use, then go to the seminary for an assignment too. Uh, so if if you remember... Your call day, uh, as pastors, I don't know if I remember that one quite so much. I do remember our call day uh, with Shelley and myself for the vicar year, because I remember going and talking to our dean, Dean Balgi, because he had talked to all of us as uh, be midler, so your second year, and he said, if there's anything that you need to tell us about, maybe you need to be one place or another. Uh, let us know, and we can take that into consideration. And so uh, I went to Dean Balgi's office and I told him, Well, you know, uh, I'm getting married this summer, and my wife, Shelly, uh, she's going to be a senior at Wisconsin Lutheran College in Milwaukee. So it'd be really good if we were, say, like an hour away from Milwaukee so that she can drive to uh, go to school there. And he goes, That's a really good reason. Yeah, we'll take that into consideration. And then on call day for Vicar, I get a call to Lawrenceville, Georgia. (laughs) So really not within driving distance, uh, you know, that they took it into consideration and then they threw it out the window because, uh, you know, they did end up putting me with the right guy, a very mission-minded pastor who then became a mission counselor. And then I was assigned to a mission church in Kentucky uh, here at here in Racine, I've always viewed this congregation as a mission church. Now, I'm the district mission board chairman, and so even though humanly speaking, I said Milwaukee would be the good, really good place, you know, the Holy Spirit knew better. Let's talk then, Jew, before we get into the gospel lesson, uh, because at first evangelical, and we call it first Evan, mm-hmm. that uh, first Evan and Epiphany now Water of Life has for over 40 years worked jointly for our our school wisconsin lutheran school so the history of our school is epiphany started our school a year after the church started so the church started in 1927 the school started in 1928 do you know when first evan started
1: their school Oh, I'm I'm gonna show that I'm I've not been a good boy in learning my church history, but I want I I'm, I I don't know for sure, so I'm afraid not. But I, I can maybe put a put a, a general guess on when the church was founded. But yeah, the schools escaped ch- me. And the so. church
2: is 170 years old, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Say our 175th is coming up here in 23, 24. So You're yeah,
2: one of the oldest congregations in the wells.
1: Yeah, it, 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 that is true. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, but yeah, it's the Lord's really blessed us in in, in Racine for so long.
2: And so. Uh, I, I think the talking about the history of the churches is kind of interesting, in that so downtown Racine, and to think of Racine, which is now about eighty-five thousand people, that one hundred seventy-five years ago, when First Evan started, and then it was First German Lutheran, that it was farm fields. You know where Jeremy lives downtown. You know that was They talked about cows grazing around where the church was built. Which is crazy since it's just all downtown city now. And then, but it was first German because the first settlers to Racine. Do you know what Racine means, Drew?
1: I actually don't know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you, i've I've not been I've not been uh, giving enough time to learning what my is your local history. teaching you? I I don't know. how to be a Lions fan, I guess, <laughs> and and how to suffer in in silence is what we is what we kind of been used to. <laughs> yeah, but you,
2: but you learn that early on as a. Lions. It's
1: true. Yeah, that's kind of pounded India as as a young Lions fan. So, yep.
2: Jeremy, do you know what Racine means? Root. Yeah, it's French for root for the root river.
1: Okay, I did not know that. Yeah. I, um, see, I've always been wondering, though, is it Racine or Russine? Because I've heard kind of both pronunciations. So. Right, yeah. Or Racine.
2: Racine, yeah, with the emphasis on the, on the back or, end. Or, yeah. Uh, but uh, first, German, they were having German services. And then uh, there's two stories about how Epiphany started in that uh, there were members that wanted to do English-speaking outreach uh to those that were on the outskirts of town and in 1927 that was two miles away from first evan but by horse and buggy and so forth that's a long way and and it's hard for us to think about too and that on just half a block from where our church is here that was farm fields and trees and woods in 1927 uh so that's one story and and the other story is that Pastor Pope, retired pastor from First Evan, tells us that in the 1920s that First Evan was going to be building a parsonage and a really nice, kind of pricey parsonage. And then some of our members got got upset, and then they left the church to start a brand new church. So whichever version is there, maybe it's both. I like the sanctified version. But even like but he still told the other version. Yeah. Even like the, uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, when they get upset over John Mark, and then they split, but now they have two different teams. Now you've got two different churches uh, two miles away. And that's why you know our church was started in 1927, and because it was reaching out to the English-speaking people. And it was started in January of 1927, the Epiphany season, the church's name is the English Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Epiphany. So it's a mouthful. Wow, that is that is impressive. Yeah, but now it's, it's just water of life. Uh, but that's a long way of getting to then at uh, Epiphany, started a school a year later. You guys had your school, and then two small schools two miles apart. And then 45 years ago, the tr- two churches with the pastors decided, you know what? We can do this better together than separately. And so we have uh, one school building next to our Water of Life Racine campus and two campuses or two buildings downtown by 1st EVAN. So what do you think about how this works between the two churches jointly operating
1: a school instead of one church operating its own school? I mean like anything there's pros and cons to to, to both. I mean oftentimes you, you hear about you know how it can be kind of a detraction not having all your kids in one place and so you don't have those older kids being an example for younger kids. You have staff that's split up. But at the same time it's really cool that both each church gets to own their own school building and they get to kind of have a little bit of of their own say in that. But, but I think WLS Wisconsin Lutheran School has done a really excellent job of kind of maintaining the, the unity between the two campuses and, and and having a unified staff and a unified vision. And uh, so I think there's a lot that re- that is really done very well at, at our school, and, and I think there's a lot to say about the unity that we can have and, and the joint operating t- together. So,
2: How about you, Jeremy? What have you seen? Because you've been here with your boys in our school for a year and a half. What do you see about the
0: unity between the two churches and the school? It's impressive. Um, I have to say that I, I've i served in other places uh, where we were a congregation that used to have a, a very large flourishing school, uh, and that had closed before I got there, and we were then involved with a joint grade school with uh, kind of a, a mothership uh, nearby that um, still had a, a functioning school. And uh, there was another congregation. It was actually three. So here we only have two congregations, but that was three involved in this joint school effort. Uh, and before I left that area, we ended up saying, uh, this isn't really working out for our church. It, we, we are partners, but sort of partners in name only. And, and we ended up uh, removing ourselves from the partnership. Um, and so I, I'd say, it, if uh, how, how long has the... I've, I've, I haven't done my church history. How long has the uh, uh, joint aspect been a thing? It's about 45 years. Okay, so they, they each had their own independent school and merged them? Correct. Okay.
2: Yeah, and so yeah, so it was Epiphany Lutheran School and First Evan Lutheran School, and then, but they were both small. You know, I don't know the numbers of back then, but then we were able to join them together. Back then we had a lower school. And then we at the Epiphany campus and a middle school downtown at the First Evan campus. Uh, but when I got here 18 years ago, and as I got acclimated, some of our members were talking to me and saying it felt like two different schools. Because back then, if we needed a first grade teacher that was in the lower school, Epiphany called it, called the teacher. We paid the teachers, First Evan had no say. And the same thing if it was a 4th through 8th grade or principal teacher. Uh, and it, it felt like two different schools, even though we, we operated jointly. Until about 10 years ago, then we created a joint operating agreement. So now all of the decisions are made jointly. So there's a possible building project that's coming up. We'll meet jointly on that. There's call meeting next Tuesday for two of our teachers. We'll jointly call those teachers in that same meeting. We'll vote on the budget for the school, and we jointly do that instead of. In the past, we would, Epiphany would vote, first, Evan would vote, and we're kind of playing at being together. But that one document really forces us and encourages us to be united.
0: Well, just to my point that I was making is that this is, I'd say, a pretty impressive endeavor uh, that if the if that's been going on for forty something you said forty five years something like that that yeah that's 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 pretty good and and it sounds like just what you write said now is uh it it has been strengthened rather than uh weakened, which is what my previous experience was it was kind of an experiment it was it didn't last very long it got weaker over time instead of stronger uh this sounds like just the this seems like just the opposite my big concern is uh, who in the world decided to call it Wisconsin Lutheran School, so that now we are completely confused with our seminary in Mequon whenever we hear WLS?
2: I don't know. I wasn't part of that decision, but I do. But I do know they couldn't call it Epiphany or First Eve, and they weren't going to call it like First Epiphany Lutheran School or anything like that. So that that decision was made before before I got here.
0: That is, uh, that is a very minor concern on my part,
1: actually. <laughs> that was a concern I had, too. As I was at the seminary, and, and I, I was got my call pack, and I'm like, oh, they have a WLS. That's, and, and I realized, oh, that's going to be interesting trying to differ, differentiate the two. So I know what you mean, Jeremy, yeah. yeah.
2: But the seminary president always likes it when we bring our catechism students up there every other year. He says, and now we have the second WLS visiting the first WLS. <laughs>
0: yeah. Do you want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure. So the gospel comes from Luke 13. At that time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all perish too. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all perish too. He told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the gardener, Look, for three years now I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why even let it use up the soil? But the gardener replied to him, Sir, leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put fertilizer on it. If it produces fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down.
2: So perhaps Pontius Pilate's soldiers were doing some crowd control at the temple and killed some Galilean worshippers. Perhaps the Galileans were part of a resistance effort against Rome. So Drew, what did the people in the crowd conclude about those Galileans?
1: Oh, it definitely seems like, you know, they got what was coming to them. Like, they must have done something in some sort of grand cosmic scheme that they earned this, and therefore God had to punish them in a pretty spectacular way. It's definitely definitely what it seems like.
2: Sure. So, Jeremy, what is karma?
0: And should Christians believe in karma? Uh, It's what what goes around comes around. Uh, If you are a generally nasty person and then something generally nasty happens to you then people kind of feel smug about it and they say uh oh he got what was coming to him um and uh there's a whole world view or religion based on karma that uh says this is how the universe works um it's a it's a middle eastern religion
2: right
1: yes it it has its roots in hinduism and buddhism mostly
2: Yeah. yeah so should christians believe in karma uh
1: No,
0: I would say not. So, but then do they? Uh, Well, actually, I'm going to backpedal a little bit. I'm going to say um, yes uh, in earthly things, uh, but not in in spiritual matters. When it comes to our eternal life in Jesus, how you get to heaven, then you need to divorce yourself as far as possible from karma. It is completely by grace alone. God's sovereign choice of 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 mercy um but uh, I I do think there are times in earthly matters where you have to say well if you were if you were cutting corners on I got the tower picture in my mind so I'm thinking of construction and uh, if there's a company that's cutting corners and uh cutting costs and doing things on the cheap and then suddenly one of their buildings collapses well then, you, that you you reaped what you sow. That there's a, there's a Bible pay. Well, let's not call it karma. Let's call it reaping what you sow.
2: Right. And so you know what you're talking about too is if you know someone's smoking, they smoke their entire lives, and now they've got you know lung problems. Yeah. Or you know they were they were drinking a lot, and then they got in a car accident. You know that's not karma. That's the results of their poor actions. But do Christians? Fall into the trap that they think that if I did something,
0: if, if God, got there's God's the got to think about back karma when we talk talk karma. And again, it sounds like you know more about it than I do as far as the history goes. But uh, it, it's almost like there is this greater being or force behind the scenes that is keeping track, and uh, it, it may be something that is totally unrelated to your. Actions, but if if your actions are bad, then later on your results are going to be bad too. And uh, and instead of a force or an unknown being, we we substitute Christians would substitute God, and God is this. He's keeping track of all of your wrongs, and he's going to revisit you with the uh, punishment for those wrongs in some way later. Um, I yeah, definitely there there are Christians out there that think, oh God, God is paying me back for the mistakes of my youth that may have nothing to do with mistakes you made in your youth. And it's not, no, it's not God. It's not karma.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't, I think this is a great example of how like so much of what we call like modern Christianity is starting to, we're starting to see it's like becoming more diluted almost. And it's almost taking on more aspects of, you know, like kind of folk spirituality and Eastern spiritualism. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of filtering into American Christianity that really has no place being there. And I think this is a textbook example. Or you can view it in a way like 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 we were just talking about, like absolutely yeah, like you reap what you sow, if you live an entire life of debauchery, then your your body's gonna gonna end up paying the price but that yeah, but what you said, Jeremy, you always have to come back to when it comes to matters of you know where my soul ends up when I die, that is very much a matter that is settled, and so I think American Christians are okay there, but this is an example of how we we can see that dilution happening in American Christianity,
2: yeah. You know, I've been pastor long enough, and I hear our members when I go and visit them, and then they they think, and they might, and they might be honest enough to tell the pastor, "Well, I think this bad thing is happening because God's getting back at me for this other bad thing that I did." Uh, and the example I always use is think of years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, that there were preachers. That were on TV and so forth, saying, "Well, this is God's judgment on you know wicked uh, Louisiana's, but especially wicked New Orleans mm-hmm. and all of their Mardi Gras, their Mardi Gras, their,
0: their voodoo. voodoo, all yeah. that stuff." Yeah,
2: this is God's punishment. But then, uh, if you really study what happened with Hurricane Katrina, you remember that uh, the hurricane hit and the levees failed, but the levees failed like 10 days after the hurricane hit. That if the levees would have failed at the same time of the hurricane, everything would have been wiped out. But because they held for another 10 days or so, the people were able to escape. So was that God's grace allowing uh, the people to escape by holding up the levees or was it uh, God's judgment? And that's what happens when we try to Put our interpretation of, say, karma onto uh, God's divine
0: acts. I, I remember preaching on this when I when I was first in uh, the ministry, and uh, the the hot news item at that time was um, it was an earthquake. I think, yeah, it was an earthquake in Haiti. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Right. It was about I do, yeah yep. ten ten years ago or fifteen years ago and uh I kind of used that as a a modern example of the tower falling or Pontius Pilate mixing the blood. uh Let me ask you this uh would either of you uh ever preach this uh text for a funeral sermon? Have you yes,
2: okay, I figured as much i I haven't uh I don't know if I would. I mean, I the last sermon I preached was on Job, and and the reason I picked Job was that uh, here was a gentleman. Uh, the the way it happens, I met with the family, uh, the wife and the two daughters, at the funeral home, and and as we were talking, the oldest daughter had said that the worst phone call that she could ever get was the one that she got a week before that from the police saying that they found her father dead after a car accident down in the south side of chicago well that reminded me immediately of the four phone calls the four messengers that came to job one right after another your camels are taken away your animals are burned up your children have all died and one right after another Um, and again it could be karma because that's what his his so called friends later on really are saying, "Well, you must have really messed up for God to do all of this to you." Uh,
0: jo- Job's friends were more or less believing in a God of karma, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, but but they're uh, being able to say how Job said, uh, "The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the Lord, uh, may the name of the Lord be praised." So I didn't preach on this text, but there are kind of some similarities for what you're talking about.
0: Yeah that there was a, a man that uh, maybe one time he brought his wife to church. He wasn't really there, but he was supposed to be a member of our church. And uh, interesting that it, yours was also a car accident. He died in a car accident. Uh, he was a fairly old guy. He probably shouldn't have been driving. and um, but he was very popular, very well loved in the community. Uh, one of the largest funerals I've ever done. And I, I, I took this as the sermon text. Uh and the other thing I had going in my favor was it was uh I think it was the 10 year anniversary of 911. And so I was able to sort of tie in some uh I think that was my introduction to the sermon was the towers falling. Uh and uh you then this guy had died in an accident, a car accident. Uh but I just I did want to send the very clear message because his wife was also quite delinquent in her church attendance. And uh, and I, I said at one point in the service, we're going to have a funeral for him, but uh, I want you to know this was not God-pleasing how he was le- leading his life. Um, and, and so then this was my sermon text. Let's not try to get behind the uh, why and the uh, reasoning of, of God's uh, divine providence Uh bad things happen to bad people and God also stops bad things from happening to bad people so just because you were not one of the ones that died in the carnage doesn't mean that you shouldn't repent
1: yeah, see, what well, was my thought, too, when you posed the question, is that, you know, in a certain context, this could really drive home. And I really love the picture, too, of the gardener pleading for more time, because that, that's a such a powerful picture of Christ, and how, and, and I think when I, when I read that line, the first thing that jumped in my head was Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, and how, talking about how he longed to bring this city back under him, and as a hen gathers her chicks. And, and so, while there is a, that powerful repentance aspect of it, like, you know, the, clearly, Really, the, like the the people of Israel needed to be reminded to repent. This is also a great picture of the, of the the desire for the gardener Jesus to work and cultivate his people and bring them under his under his wing.
2: Well, that gets to the question I was going to get to: is how in the world does this this parable fit in with what's going on here? Because it doesn't seem to fit. What's the tie?
1: Yeah, so so it, it definitely seems like the people were looking for some sort of. Um, I mean, they they wanted an explanation behind. Well, clearly, the, um, the, these people deserve what they got, right? And 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 so Jesus then tells, well, if re- we're all really deserving of punishment, if you really get to it, like, I mean, you, if you lump both the people who, felt, who died in the tower, the people who died in the in the sacrifice at the temple, and then all people, I mean, all of them are the tree that is needing to be cultivated and not producing fruit. And so Jesus is almost kind of like broadening the scope if you will like he's he's taking them ideas okay like this this isn't just about people who died at the temple and people who died under the tower this is about all people and how all people need to be need to repent and that all people that the lord wants all them all to be saved
0: is it kind of like Jesus is telling them you're you're wondering why did god let these bad things happen to the people under the tower or the people uh, at the temple and and then he says but you are this uh, fig tree and uh, God is just as eager to exact vengeance on you. And I am pleading with God that you that He would give you more time to to bear fruit. And I'm going to fertilize you. I'm going to dig around and try to help you produce fruit. But uh, take it seriously that that you are you are the fig tree that's about to be cut down.
2: And, and I think of a conversation I had with my youngest daughter, Belle, the other day, and that we were talking about. Uh, youth game night we're having Saturday night here at church, and that uh, she said, "Well, can I invite friends?" And I said, well, yeah, of course you can invite your friends." But I said, "But they have to agree that I'm a cool pastor." <laughs> and we were just joking about that, and and I said, "Well, am I cooler than Pastor Lightenin?" And I won't give you her answer, uh, but it was it was yeah, it was yeah, definitely. But we I tell I tell Jeremy all the time. Uh, and I'm old enough that, you know, he's, we both have kids at Shoreline. It doesn't matter what we do, how we dress, how we talk. We're not going to be cool because parents are never cool. And I bring it up here because what do I always tell you, Jeremy, is your one job, your one word you have to say to these kids.
0: Repent. Repent.
2: You know, John, I always call him, he's John the Baptist. And he's to grow your, your penitential beard <laughs> out longer. Uh, but, you're never going to be cool as a pastor when you're t- calling people to repentance. And, and that's the key. And that's, that's the idea, like you said, uh, Drew, is that we're, uh, that's what ties this all in. Is God is not getting back at you for your sins or your unrepentance is, hey, just, just repent. But since Drew's a Star Wars fan, and we're getting you into Star Wars, is can you think of uh, times that there's karma in Star Wars? And you did mention it at least two times, the word force.
0: Mm-hmm. in your Yes, yeah. yeah. I noticed that, that I did that not on purpose, but I was like, I just said force, I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so, Drew, I'll tee it up for you. Can you think of a time of karma in Star Wars? Because Because Star Wars, George Lucas... You know, a lot of what's going on with the force and so forth—that's all based on Middle Eastern religions.
1: Yeah, yes, and and that's something that that you know when you first start getting to Star Wars as a Christian, that you have to be aware of that. Is, you know, and I'm glad Lucas was open and played it with an open hand. They're saying, yeah, this is definitely based on Eastern spiritualism. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the idea of like you know the balancing of the force—you hear the, about that concept a lot—and how especially in like yeah, like the 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 sequel trilogy, episodes one, two, and three. I mean, they talk. They talk about how this chosen one is going to bring balance to the force, and and um, and and so yeah, yeah. It's not so much like you know, what goes around comes around. At least not so as explicit, I think. But there is definitely that concept of this grand balancing act, and and the the divine forces of good and evil trying to balance each other out in, in the end. So,
2: Jeremy,
0: is that no? You're the teacher's here. You need to instruct <laughs> no, me. You on, be the Padawan. What's the what's the but I, I was just thinking of that song, the, the music, the orchestral uh, arrangement, the Battle of the Fates, is it?
2: Duel of the Fates. Duel of the
0: Fates. Yep. So that, is that where you're going with this?
2: No. I'm just thinking because, like Drew said, the whole concept of Star Wars, everything is that balance of good and evil. Uh, but thinking of karma the one that came to my mind right away was in the Mandalorian and you've watched season two, one of my favorite scenes of that movie. And I've seen it a couple of times, uh, or the uh, season two is where I G 88, you know, he's this big, tall robot, uh, where he, a droid, and he's just there with the rest of the other bounty hunters in, uh, re, not return the- in, uh, I just lost the name of the movie. In the in the very second Star Wars movie, uh Empire Strikes Back. That's he's right. Yeah. Boba Fett in the background. Just a, a, you know, I he's just standing there with the other bounty hunters. I had him at I had a whole bunch of bounty hunters. All these guys that don't say anything, but I got all of these characters when I was a kid. But then they bring IG-88 back in season Oh, you know, it's it's season 1 of The Mandalorian, but then he's reprogrammed to be kind of like a babysitter for Baby Yoda, and what? Grogu. Yeah, but there he doesn't have a name yet. But you do know that I'm I'm proud of you. (laughs) Is that here? You know, think of there's two stormtroopers, and they're they've got Grogu, Baby Yoda, and uh, here comes IG88, and he 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 takes. Baby Yoda from them because they're smacking him and so forth, and then if you would believe in karma, he gets on one of the speeder bikes, and one of the best scenes in all of Star Wars is he goes into the town and he's just flipping around, shooting every stormtrooper around. That would be that would be my example of karma in there.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. Yeah.
2: And. And if nothing else, it's just a really cool scene. Yeah,
1: that's for sure, yeah. I mean, that's always the, always the best parts of Star Wars is, is the super awesome action sequences with blasters and lightsabers going off. So, yeah.
2: Uh, one of the last questions I have for you guys before we get into the Epistle lesson is, can you think of examples when people learned a lesson from their suffering? Can you think of examples of uh, God turning good out of evil. And I'll give you a moment to think about that cuz I just finished teaching Romans 11 in my Bible study a few minutes ago with our members and that was that's the whole a whole theme of Romans 11 of the remnant and that God after the Israelites hardened their hearts, then God hardened their hearts on top of it in order to then bring them back to grace to make them jealous of the gentiles. And we talked about how God might use suffering to bring people to repentance. And afterwards, uh, one of our members was talking about what brought her back to church. And a couple of people had said, they, by God's grace, none of those people in that Bible study have ever been lost and then found. They were never blind and couldn't see. Uh, they were never so dead in their faith and unbelief that Jesus had to make them alive in that, even though they know they were made alive through baptism. But they did talk, and it was interesting. they all used the same words of just kind of being nowhere. you know they didn't give up their faith, but they were just just drifting for several years, not really going to church, not taking the sacrament. but afterwards, one of the ladies was talking about how her aunt, who was kind of like a second mom to her, um, how she was murdered uh someone had she was one of my shut-ins, someone had broken into her house and tried killing her by holding a pillow over her head. This is a 90-some-year-old lady. Uh, She didn't die right there, but I remember visiting her in the hospital. Her face is all black and blue, this sweet old lady. But she eventually died from her injuries, and then I did the funeral. But this member uh, had said, because of that funeral sermon, she came back to church. That she had gotten mad at the pastor well before me, and Maybe members, but I know it was a pastor, but then God used this terrible suffering to bring her back, and then she was saying in tears today, "I hate to think that God used something so awful to bring me back but said, but that's the way our God is that it may not have had anything to do with your aunt, you know obviously he wasn't punishing her, but if God used this to bring you back, and then there are her and her husband are a force of nature in our congregation and we have had reaped a lot of blessings in our church from having them here. So I don't know if Drew, Jeremy, if you have anything.
1: Yeah, one that came to mind right away for me, and we're going to be jumping to First Corinthians here in a bit. In First Corinthians, Paul calls out a guy who is having this incestuous relationship with a stepmother, and then in Second Corinthians, we see what happened. You know, and Paul tells them, cast this guy out, make him feel the full force of the law. And then in 2 Corinthians, he has to tell him, all right, take it easy on this guy now. He's seen his lesson. He wants to come back, so let him come back. So that was one that came to mind for me right away. Was was that, and I think you can almost talk about again in our first lesson Moses a little bit too, where it's not quite the same. Where you know Moses kind of almost chose his own exile, but you know he was this hotshot Egyptian prince who wanted to be the all star and and stop the slave driver and and ended up killing a guy, and so you know God used that and and to make Moses grow and learn in the desert, and then brought him back some eventually. So
0: yeah, I wasn't sure if if uh, you meant like uh, uh, real life a modern life personal experience or a biblical one but uh, I guess I I could think of uh, David and maybe right away you think of uh, the incident with Bathsheba and and uh, how he learned from that and wrote beautiful poetry like Psalm 51 but uh, I was thinking first actually of um uh, when he was a shepherd and he talked about oh I I think I can handle Uh, taking down Goliath because I have had some experience taking down uh, a bear or a lion and um, probably in the moment with the bear or the lion that was a very intimidating thing it may not seem as as scary as taking down a giant a a human warrior but uh, nonetheless um, it it's a it's a painful thing that uh, you know puts you in a in a moment of fear and maybe even doubt but um he, he used that as a learning experience for a future uh, future feat
2: yeah and as you were talking Jeremy two other examples of my ministry came came to light in my mind of uh, one lady she had told me that she had gone down to Florida she was a college student and while she was in Florida on spring break she was raped you know and then she didn't tell me until a couple of years later but then sharing that uh, with me and then you know, her, she has a guilt and shame, even though as nothing it was her fault. But then being able to talk to her and saying, I don't know what God's will is for allowing something so evil to happen to you, but you know, maybe some good can come out of this. And then she became uh, a counselor for other women who had been sexually assaulted. So God took something horrible and turned it into at least a benefit for others. Or another... Another young lady, when I was down in Kentucky, uh, she and her husband, I went multiple times uh, to the courthouse with them because uh, social services kept getting called on them, and they kept having their kids taken away, put in social services. Uh, After I left, I lost contact with them, but uh, several years after I'd been here in Racine, that mother reached out to me on Facebook and she, her name was changed. She was remarried. But she said that those children, I think she had three daughters, that they were gone. They were adopted by other another family or other families. But now she was remarried. She was really into God and her church and along with her husband. They were very committed to their church and they were opening a daycare. So she had lo- learned all these hard lessons in the past of the suffering and then God used that to turn out something pretty awesome, and she is just an example of, of grace. Uh, we got a few minutes if you want to get into the epistle lesson, Jeremy. Sure. Uh, so it's 1 Corinthians 10,
0: the first 13 verses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. He had them die in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples to warn us not to desire evil things the way they did. Do not become idolaters like some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to celebrate wildly." And let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day twenty-three thousand fell. Let us not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and so were being destroyed by the serpents. And do not grumble as some of them grumbled, and were destroyed by the destroyer. All these things that were happening to them had meaning as examples, and they were written down to warn us, to whom the end of the ages has come. So let him who thinks he stands be careful that he does not fall. No testing has overtaken you except ordinary testing, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your ability, but when he tests you, he will also bring about the outcome that you are able to bear it.
2: So the Christians in Corinth had written to Paul with some questions, and uh, one of them was about feasts held in pagan temples, and these were the common feasts that Gentiles would have regularly attended prior to becoming Christians. Apparently, some of them thought they could still attend. Evidently, part of their argument was that because they had been baptized into Christ and feasted on his body and blood in Holy Communion, they're now on solid ground. They believe the sacraments that joined them to Christ guaranteed them his salvation, no matter how how they might sin. So, in response, Paul uses some examples from Israel's history to illustrate the folly of this thinking. So, Drew, what blessings had God given the Israelites, and then how did they use or misuse those blessings?
1: You can tell um, Paul's very much has in mind the Exodus here, and and in a previous sermon I forget when I preached it, but I talked about how you know how essential that that you, Exodus was. You forgot was. which?
2: You've only preached like twenty sermons.
1: I'm just taking I'm just taking it like one week at a time here. So <laughs> I mean, the sermon by sermon is the way I go about it generally. But yeah, I mean, the, but but how. I It was a huge identity of of the Israelites to this exodus, and so we see Paul using that here, like you know these guys they saw incredible things, they saw the pillar of cloud, they saw the Red Sea parting, and so they had more than enough reason to believe everything that God was their God that he gave this this law to them for a reason, and look where that wound and look look how that wound up for him you know they 're still falling into idolatry and sexual immorality and and so you know, it 's clear that you know despite having all these wonderful things that they were still falling into sin and so paul's then applying that to like just because you have the sacraments doesn't mean that you're going to forever be in the lord's church so jeremy what
2: lesson is the holy spirit teaching
1: us through paul's warning
2: about idolatry immorality and grumbling like the israelites of old did
0: so what is the warning to the corinthians and to us let him who thinks he stands firm be careful that he does not fall. Yeah. Yeah, why is that a, a warning to our
2: members or to your students at Shoreland? So, like, how is the worship
0: attendance for Shoreland students, do you think? It, you, are you, it sounds like you keep better track of that than I do.
2: Okay. <laughs> what, what would you guess?
0: Uh, 50%.
2: Oh, man. I don't know. It, it's, not, it's not good. And do you know what their reasoning is? Because I hear this from my own members because I, I go and visit them and, and talk to them about why they're not coming. you know what they say?
0: I get it every day in school.
2: Yep. I get it every day in school. i got religion class, we have our chapel, and so forth. So then what can you, how can you use this text with those
0: students? So the Israelites, uh, they, they got to see this pillar of cloud every day um they uh they they were baptized they went down into the water with Moses uh, and uh, came out on the other side so uh, you you may say to yourself i'm baptized uh, I've got the I've got the magic key uh, nothing can uh, change that uh, and if you're coming at it from the right attitude you're right nothing can change that but when when you're coming at it from the attitude of uh i I can just forget about my relationship with my Savior uh, on the weekends, then uh, you need to remember that the Israelites were baptized. The Israelites took this type of communion. They they ate food that God had sanctified in a miraculous way for them, just like the bread and the wine of communion is Jesus' body and blood. And uh, they still ended up dead all across the desert. Um, and, and so uh, if you think that you're standing firm just because you snooze through a religion class or look at your phone during a, a weekday chapel at high school um i don't know maybe they're maybe they're looking at the bible app on their phone It's
2: that is a sanctified <laughs> way of looking at it
0: uh they, i saw that once it was a back row with a couple of girls on a phone and i was thinking about calling them out in front of everybody but anyway um if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall yeah and I think that's
2: true for us you know, and you you and i in the parish to remind our members because uh i don't know how was worship attendance at first evan
1: oh it, it it's it's been it's been a struggle and, and um i mean we're consistent but the, but it's not consistent with what was pre pandemic mm-hmm. and, and and I'm sure it's been the same for almost all of our churches in the wells but even pre pandemic how was it See, see I mean, that, you weren't here. Exactly. But. Yeah, that, I'd, have to, I'd have to go back and, and look at our, our past records. But it definitely isn't the, the full amount of people we have listed as members of our church. Right. And, you know, you think of our statistics,
2: because uh, we always have to fill out statistics, or, you know, if we're really smart, then we have our church secretaries do it for us. <laughs> and, you know, if a church is at 50% for worship attendance, they think that's really good. That's 50%. And a lot of our churches are like thirty thirty five percent that's awful mm-hmm. there's a lot of our members that are these Corinthians that are those Old testament Israelites. They take god 's means of grace his gospel and word and sacraments for granted and if they if you think you're standing firm, uh be careful you don't fall uh last night we were a number of us called workers and our spouses were over at jeremy 's house and uh I was talking to the two of the guys toward the end of the party and uh, they, they each said exactly the same thing. Is they said that they had a, a relative that was raised in a parochial school, so a Lutheran grade school and high school, confirmed in the faith, baptized. They went to University of Madison. Four years later, they're atheists. Both Both gentlemen said, the exact same story of their family members. So it can happen. If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. And there I remember one of our members several years ago when his son was in Madison, I was trying to get his contact information so we can uh, get him on the Wells Campus Ministry. You know, We we try and reach out to them as, as a pastor in a congregation too. And the dad said, well, if he doesn't go to church for four years, that's not that big of a deal. I said, no, this is a big deal that this is when these kids lose their faith. If you don't go to church
1: for four
0: weeks, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was just talking the, with uh, our midweek Latin supper about this, and it's just like the, the, people have gotten into the habit, and you know, the pandemic started an awful trend where you know the, it got people used to n- not— being a part of their congregation, but just consuming media from their congregation. The yeah. two are very, very different. You know, we're called to be a body of believers and build each other up and not just sit there and take this stuff in. What
0: if uh, what if it's a matter of uh, going to a, a public university at, and uh, also being fed, um, not necessarily by Lutheran or, or uh, Wells campus ministry but uh that that you substitute it with a different denomination uh of of christianity what what would your response be to that as pastors
2: my response is if you think you're strong enough it might work for you but i know very few people that are
0: strong enough that if phrase the the if phrase you just used sounds to me like let him who thinks if you think you're standing firm be careful that you do not fall yep that, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. If you think you can do that, last week
2: we had Jared and Katie on, and Jared talked about, you know, he's in the, in the army uh, going to chapel. And he said, and I've seen this from our own Wells people that I've ministered to in the military going to their non denominational services on post, when you are a dedicated Wells member, it doesn't cut it. They can tell the difference. Uh, I preached a, a wedding sermon last year. And after the service, a gentleman came up to me and he said, uh, are you Wells or Missouri Synod? Hmm. And and I said, well, I'm um, Wisconsin Synod. He said, oh, well, I could tell. I knew you weren't ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, because you mentioned sin.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he said, this was a Missouri Synod uh, former pastor, and he said, I could tell the way you preached of law and gospel, and you preached sin and grace and the means of grace that you were— a conservative Lutheran, and you're going to miss that if you go to a non-denominational church. Uh, I was talking to Bell the other day because I listen to every week a podcast on uh, what's going on in pop Christianity, and I and I bring this up all the time with our members. So you have no idea the fluff that's out there, the awful teachings that that's out there, because you're used to wells, you're used to hearing law and gospel. We may not always be the best
0: preachers, but you're hearing the best of preaching of law and gospel. And and if you feed regularly on the fluff, pretty soon you're going to get used to hearing the fluff and and it it will it, you will get numb to the good stuff. Yeah, you're you're going to like the cotton candy and and not the meat and potatoes
2: and other vegetables if you like vegetables. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had a thought, but it's gone. So go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, so I got, I got one more Star Wars thing for you guys. So why do the Jedi always warn about the dangers of the dark side? You know, you think of warning Anakin and so forth. And if you watch the Clone Wars and other Jedi going off into the, the dark side, and why do they warn over and over again about that? Because I, I think it's here of warning... Paul warning about the Israelites going off into that sexual immorality and the grumbling and the idolatry. Why warn? And why did the why did the Jedi warn so much?
1: Uh, well, it's called the wide road for a reason. It's super easy to to take that road because you, you think of the wide and narrow path, and the, uh, the wide and narrow. Gate, I should say. And, and you know, it's, it's You've
0: jumped from Jedi to Jesus.
1: Yeah, I have. We got yeah, we got to yeah. go, yeah, go into the Jedi. Okay, first. we got to go Jedi first, <laughs> or oh, yes, you're absolutely right. So I mean. The the dark side is it it corrupts easily, you know. And the the attempts with power, and you know, I think of this is now probably extra canon and like old canon. But you had like the three codes: you had the Sith code, the Jedi code, and the Gray code. Oh,
2: I'm so proud of you! Drew the, I had that down. The the Gray Jedi.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like, so like. Did you
2: know about the Gray Jedi? I wrote I wrote an article for Bread for Beggars years ago on the gray jedi that walked that middle road
1: Exactly yeah cuz Cause, cause the jedi like they believe in a complete disconnect from the force and how the force is the, the force is kind of like this that you have to be extra outside of it and the sith believe the force is like a tool you know it's it's by by my passion by the force i gain power and the gray jedi are the ones who walk in the middle they 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 they, they walk in both sides of the force really and so the, 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 there's, they have to differentiate because it's easy to be tempted by the power and the corruption of the dark side. And But there's also that easy road where if you're two Jedi, you can like just walk only in the path of light and not really fully understand the Force.
2: Yeah, so like Ahsoka Tano and Qui-Gon Jinn, those are more familiar names in for those that watch Star Wars that are con- are conceived that might be gray Jedi. But like you said, that may not necessarily be canon. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Jeremy, do you even want to touch this, this question at all? Let's get back to the canon of uh, the 66 books. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right.
2: But um, anything else that you guys want to bring up with either of these texts about, you know, the, the hardships and struggles that come in and, and that, again, you can think that they're happening because God's punishing us as opposed to both Jesus and Paul talking about no god is working behind these things.
1: Well the the theme that that um that that is kind of set up for this week is false security crushed. And so the, the in the past few weeks we've we've seen kind of this idea of you know, like of Jesus crushing Stuff external out of us, you know, like and crushing shortcuts. That was just last week's, and, and you know, and then crushing temptation. That was the week before that, with the first week of Lent. And so this, this we see is, is now it's an internal thing being crushed. The, the, the idea that you know, this false security that you know I'm okay, I don't need, I don't need my church, I don't need gospel ministry. That's one thing being crushed here. But then this also, also this idea of um. Uh, it's it's kind of the, the opposite side of it where you know it's not it's not so much crushing my my confidence but it's crushing my ability to be weakened too yeah you know, where you know, it's crushing almost i'm i'm struggling to find words for this but it's it's crushing the idea that we we w- that we can easily fall into temptation
0: no d but you no, go back and say what you said just a second ago about crushing my ability to be weakened.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that's almost what I'm what I'm trying to get at. So you know, the, we realize that, but you know, uh, you think too of the strength that 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 this text reminds us of too. Is that is that, that you know, we do have that gardener constantly cultivating us and working us up? You know, so, so
0: you're now th- you're back at the gospel, Luke 13. Yeah, that, yep. yeah. No, that's that. I like I like that thought. It, it, crushing my ability to be weakened. I think that's a good way to approach it because that's really what now I'm wanting to say to my religion students after you know what you were talking about with a church attendance is um, we it's it's not about like getting your fill up of uh Jesus it, it is about getting your fill up of Jesus but it's also about um training you for the times when you won't have religion classes in chapel every day and you need to have a relationship with a full-time uh means of grace ministry uh, and and the the idea of it is the it, short way to say it is that you'll be strengthened. But I, I think I even like better it, that your ability to be weakened would be crushed.
1: You can also definitely bring in too the the very last verse from the epistle lesson there. You know, like, no, I'm I'm thinking of the NIV. But you know, no temptations overcome has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And when you do, God will provide a way out from underneath it.
0: Uh, okay, that's why I like this one so much better. Uh, because it, it sounds like it's saying the NIV almost makes it sound like it's saying, um, you will get out of your, you'll be able to get out from under your cross. You'll get out from under your, uh, uh temptations or your problems in life. And, uh, the, the way this is worded is the outcome. That's, that's the Greek, uh, concept of the, it's not a way out. It is the, the, uh, product it's the the thing that is produced is that you will be able to stand up under it it's kind mm. of like a weightlifting uh metaphor almost that that this this weight pressing down on you will not crush you you are going to have the outcome that you'll be able to stand up under it and and resist it mm, yeah
2: yeah and i guess one last thought then is i remember you're, you're not
0: going to stop lifting weights yeah that's the point is that you, you don't just get to stop exercising you will get the outcome that you can push back against it. Sure. Right,
2: And so I remember asking my eighth graders in catechism class this fall, is does God give you more than you can handle? Because that's a very common meme. God mm-hmm. won't give you more than you and, can handle. And
0: this passage is what people will use often to say it.
2: Yeah. And then one of my various tu- students said, yeah, he gives you more than you can handle. I said, I was like, all oh, excited. I said, why do you say that? He goes, because if you could handle it, you wouldn't need God. I said, that's exactly Wow, right.
1: that is astute for an eighth grader. It
2: was. <laughs> Someone who never talks either. And he he actually picked up on that. And I said, Exactly. If you don't if God uh doesn't give you what you need or doesn't give you that pressure, you're not gonna get stronger to use those uh those ideas of lifting weights for me, uh bicycling or uh Wednesday Bell and I were raking leaves and so forth and now going, man, my back is sore. Well, just because I'm out of shape and you're out of shape of doing those same kind of things. Oh, I was just watching, As I grew up watching professional wrestling and so I was watching some some interviews of wrestlers and they talked about, you know, your cardio, but, you know, being out of ring shape of just, you know, those, uh, you know, the mat is like plywood, it bounces. And then the ropes are like cable. And so it's hard and they talked about calluses i never thought of it this way that you you know just like you build up calluses on your hands i have soft pastor hands so i wear gloves when i'm raking and lifting wood and all that kind of stuff but you build up those calluses and then you don't have to worry about those things and they were talking about the calluses all over the body if you're not regularly rustling for those guys like 5 times a week or like some of these guys they're only when they're getting older, they just bring them in for the big shows and they, they have that ring rust. And you have to be not just lifting weights and doing cardio. You have to be actually what they say, taking bumps, You know, being thrown on the mat, being thrown into the turnbuckles, all that stuff, uh, getting elbows, body slammed. And I just bring it into with this is God is body slamming us. He's coming off the top turnbuckle and all those kind of things. To make us stronger so that we can then take, take those and become better as we move on whether it's lifting weights raking leaves, bicycling or dealing with a tragedy a death, an illness, all of that stuff uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there so this is Pastor Michael Zarling with Pastor Drew Day and Pastor, come on baby lighten in my fire stay thirsty my friends then drink deeply from the water of life